Hello everyone, I'm Andrew, this is Kaylin, and this podcast is Stop Us From Failing. Welcome to the first ever episode of our podcast where we have the finest murder stories south of the equator. Let's go! Okay, so our story begins in 2021, 10.33pm, Deagle Drive, Columbus, Ohio. Kelly Romanoff is hiding from the Columbus killer, silently praying that she won't be found. She can hear him going through the house. As she is silently listening to how close he is, she thinks about how she could try and get out of this. The Columbus killer is the most wanted man in all of Columbus. He first struck 12 years ago. The man has no motive, 34 kills, and only breaks into houses late at night using a set of lockpicks, and then kills his victims with an axe. Killer is believed to have dark hair, be 6 foot 3, and 100 kilos. Lots of federal agencies have looked at this case, but none of them have come even remotely close. Kelly stops thinking about this because she knows none of that is going to happen. She starts stressing as she thinks about how she is going to die. And then she realises the footsteps. They stopped. Kelly opens the door to the room she is in and then what she sees is the strangest thing. Max is lying there on the ground, beaten up and fingered. Kelly knows almost immediately that it's the Columbus killer sex. Then Kelly... Here's her back door open and then closed again, followed by a loud and fast footsteps outside. Kelly rushes to the top floor of her house to see a man running through the street. At first, Kelly wonders what the man could be doing, and then she sees something dangling by his side. First, she can't quite make out what it is, but then she realises that it's a set of lockpicks. At that point, there is no denying that that man is a Columbus girl, and Kelly gets frightened, but then curious as to why he was running away. Why do you leave his axe? A million thoughts race through Kelly's head, but none of them have clear answers. Okay, so Kaylin, do you have any questions about that part of the podcast? Well, um, I was just curious, like, well, he's six foot three, right? Yes. Like, uh, we know, like, what his rough appearance is, right? Yes. Surely we could pick out those sort of people by that description, right? Or not? But he's believed to have, he's believed to be, have those attributes of himself. So, it's not, then no one's 100% certain what he actually looks like. He could have blonde hair, be six, six foot, even five foot nine or something, and then be like 10 kilos. That's very unrealistic, but yes, that, that could be what he looks like, all right? That's just what it's believed based on, like, the axe, the axe, like, that's, uh, like, you have to be pretty strong to lift an axe. He's a big man, 100 kilos, that's what they believe. 12 years, so... 12 years. Shouldn't he, like... If he started off, like, 12 years ago, he would have been probably really young then to be able to be still doing, like, murders to this day and being able to run, like, you're physically active all the time. I mean, like, there's people in sports, uh, there's some rugby players who can run, like, over 30 k's an hour and they're like 30, 34 years old, so he yeah, could have literally also, started at but, 22, and then, yeah. It, but like, he's also, but your example, rugby players, they're also physically active most of the time. He could but be if, physically active in yeah. his own house. Mm, good point. He could be how, running from the cops how, a lot. Every time he sees someone, he just runs. He could just, he could just run purposefully to try and get away from them, to just, just train his, like, uh, uh, endurance. Well, like, with Kelly's almost murder, mm-hmm. um, like, 
why would he stop running away? That's so, like, why wouldn't you kill the person? Otherwise, that way you have a suspect. That's like, you have a witness. That's what the people are trying to figure out. Because Kelly didn't actually see him as she was hiding in the room. Well, she right. did see him, just not in she, the room. She, she saw him, him running down the street. Running through, yes. Yeah, but, but we you don't wouldn't have, have a face. You wouldn't have a face of that because he's running away. Yeah. So, still, it, you wouldn't be able to tell someone's height from there. You wouldn't be able to tell someone's age. If they weren't wearing a ski mask, you might be able to tell the hair. But it was 10.33pm, so it was dark. dark. But what about streetlights? Yeah, streetlights. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, if they weren't wearing a mask of some kind or a ski mask or something, you would be able to tell their hair. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the second part. All right. The next day, Kelly called the Columbus Police Department and told them that a man had broken into her house last night who she believed to be the Columbus killer and had left his axe. The police were over within an hour with a forensics team who took the axe away for testing and unsurprisingly found lots of DNA on it, but none of the DNA matched with anyone from their criminal database, so for the 35th time, the killer got away. However, one man is on his case though, one man who is desperately trying to solve the case of the Columbus killer and his name is Jack Davidson. Jack Davidson, Columbus Police Department, known as the best detective in Columbus. There is not one case that he has put down because it was too hard or unsolvable. He has more than 600 solved cases on record, and not one stumped him, except for this one. The case of the Columbus Killer. He had been on it since his third month as a detective and still hasn't solved it. No one has. He was also about to put the case away. But then the first breakthrough in 10 years of the killer's 12-year run, the axe, the one and only weapon in the killer's profile. But there was something strange about this axe. It wasn't your standard axe from your local hardware store. This one had a custom handle and an engraving on the underside of the head. It read, Sanguis enum sanguinum dus. Jack immediately recognised it from Latin as he tried to teach himself a couple years ago. He got his phone out and translated it to, Blood for the blood god. Okay, so Kaylin, do you have any questions about the second part of our story? Well, I really like that Technoblade reference you had there. That was, this wasn't a le legitimate story, thank you very much. I did not make this up over one week of you being away for this podcast, but yeah, I didn't make it up, I swear. Legitimate. Um, anyways, um, well, this sounds like a really culty thing, like blood for the blood god, like, uh, cult. Um, cult. so, by, I, by that theory of the cult, maybe there are multiple killers, and the people that they kill are just sacrificial horns, and, like, so they use the blood from the axe as much as possible. And so, yeah, maybe there are multiple, um, uh, killers, and they buy axes and then etch in blood for the blood god money. So... So you're suggesting that one man has taught a multiple culture, like multiple people in this one cult, the same MO over time, taught them how to lockpick and well, taught no, them... No, no, so it wouldn't be like he would teach them everything. I feel like he would just like recruit people that already know how to do like lockpicking and stuff. He just teaches them how to kill the people so they only think it's one person. So, but 
if you go up to people who know how to lock it, it's mostly locksmiths, right? How many locksmiths are there? Not many. Yeah, and then how many of them actually want to end up killing someone? Also I not many. No one cares, Kaylin. Shut up. I'm trying to prove a point. <laughs> no. My brother knows how to pick a lock and he wants to kill some people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but still, how many of them, like, actually want to kill someone? And then also, I, I was going to say something. Um, also, I don't know. I don't know. Also, you don't know, or else. Also, I don't but, like, know. Like, co- like, it seems so cold here. Like, blood for the blood god. Sacrificial. Ah! Uh, like, we have the bloods. Like, you don't need to brutally murder somebody just to prove your point that you're scary. Like, if you're gonna say blood for the blood god, you might wanna do it, like, you might wanna do it so you can, like, have sacrifices and stuff. And also with him dropping his axe and running away. That's not normal of the um, killer, right? Maybe that was somebody's first time trying to kill somebody of that cult and um, like chickened out and started running away because he or she didn't want to get caught. Maybe he just got spooked by something, who knows what, but maybe he just wanted to give up. Whatever, I do not care. Maybe they just got, maybe it just got spooked by something, alright, Kaylin? Maybe it just got spooked by something. Well, let's move on to the next part then. Let's do it. Alright then. Jack searched and searched and searched for anyone who recognised the engraving. He almost gave up as well, but then he went to one last place. Skulls and EY engravers. Jack went inside and asked if the owner recognised the inscription. To which he said, yeah. A man came in about 12 or 13 years ago and asked us to engrave that to an axe. We have been open for 70 plus years and that is by far the weirdest thing anyone has asked us to engrave. Jack then asked, do you reckon your security footage goes back that far? To which the store owner replied, young man, we keep every second of our footage here. Do you want to take a look at it? Of course Jack agreed, which then resulted in the second breakthrough of the case in 10 years. Kill his face. Later, Jack went around asking anyone if they recognised the killer, and no one did. He ended up going to Kelly's house, and when he got to the front door, all he saw was a picked lock and an open door. Immediately, Jack ran inside, and he saw a man, covered in blood, standing over a very dead Kelly Romanoff. Jack immediately drew his gun and yelled at the man to put his hands up and turn around slowly. The man complied for the sake of not getting shot, but he turned... But as he turned around, Jack slowly realised who the man was. It was, of course, the one and only Columbus killer. Jack immediately arrested him and took him back to the police station. Shortly after, the man was put on trial, where he pleaded not guilty, but was found guilty shortly after on the accounts of 35 murders, given the sentence of 35 life sentences without the possibility of parole. Okay, so Kellen. Got any questions about the final part of our story? Well, we saw him stand over Kelly Romanoff, yes. right? But how do we know that that's the real killer? And because he also pleaded not guilty, and he wanted—he didn't want to—he uh, surrendered because he didn't want to get shot. But like, what happens if he just walked in and saw Kelly Romanoff dead, and he was like, uh, "What do I do?" Um, and also, like, we saw, like, 
the surveillance camera, right? Yes. And how we saw his face. How do we know that that was the person that got the etching? Because it was the, the literally the, the owner of the store went back to that time when yeah, they got the etching yeah. in, right? So he has, like, he saw How the man we... who got the etching in. So it was, obviously, that's like, like, there's pretty much no denying at that point, unless the, um, the accused could prove that that wasn't him, that was someone else who got the etching. What happens if, like, that person that got the etching in was held at gunpoint by the true Columbus killer? Well, then, but then he, but Jack arrested the man who was standing over Kelly because it was the same face from the security footage. So, and... He could have just been, like, a local neighbourhood, dude. Like, we don't know. It could be coincidence, but I, like... So, but that's only coincidence. That's, like, that's a coincidence. You need a base police evidence of actual fact. If that happened, uh, it definitely happened in real life. I don't know what I'm talking about, but no. If that happened in real life, it, that you would be found guilty no matter what. Like, you, you would have to have a very good lawyer and lots of money for bribery to be found not guilty then. Okay. Well, um, also, um, uh, like, why, why, what, do we know why the Columbus killer did it? Did he ever, like, confess? Uh, yes. We, uh, no, not in this story. Not not in the Not in what the, was released to the public. Uh, in what was the facts that were released to the public, we have no idea why he did it. Okay, thank you. Okay, and that is the end of our story. I thank the sponsor of this podcast, Shizia Mask. They make amazing mask designs or even just basic ones. Most of the mask designs are either based off games or just basic masks in general. They are light, easy to breathe through, and just overall really great quality. But adding on to that design, there's an even better design compared to those gaming ones or the basic one, the Oni mask. They are Japanese creations, just like yokais. Yokais are monsters and... um. The Onis are like demons. And I will get my friend Andrew to elaborate on that. Shizio masks make tons of awesome masks that look good. They are light and also protective. If uh, you want to, just go buy one. If you're in America, buy seven. Hand them out to Karens at Walmart who refuse to wear one. Alright, thank you for listening to the podcast. And that's the end. See ya. Okay, so script writing was by Andrew. Uh, Caitlin did half the backup plan. I did all of the backup plan. Okay, what whatever he did. Like okay, fine, 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 fine. Caitlin did all of the backup plan, even though we didn't use it. Uh, but pretty much, I did everything else, and Caitlin helped record. And the recording was done on his phone. And yeah, that's it. Thank you.